Pastor Xavier Reese and the proper posture for worship. So many people want to say, Oh, I want to worship you, Lord. You want to worship the Lord? Then live holy. <laughs> it's not a matter of lifting your hands. It's not a matter of the posture of your body. You want to worship the Lord? Then live holy. And you'll be worshiping the Lord in the best way that you ever can. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What does a holy God require of His followers? Some would say good works. Others may cite living an equally holy life. But according to today's study, Pastor Xavier offers a completely different and quite possibly surprising answer to such a question. Let's join him as he examines the life and actions of one of the most well-known characters of the Old Testament. Turn to the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 16, for today's Simple Truths. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart. I think um, there are two characteristics that will teach us much about what that phrase means. One is that he loved to be where God was. In the Old Testament, that's where the ark was. That was the place where God would appear to minister through the priest, his glory would appear there. Secondly, David was a man who was sensitive to sin. Now, many times we don't recognize that because we remember just one thing, the sin that he committed. David grieved when sin came into his life. He was a man who knew repentance and gave himself to repentance. And we have much to learn from David, both on the positive side and the negative side. Now, chapter 16, it says, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. The burnt offering was dedication and consecration to the Lord, a total burnt offering, totally dedicating oneself to the Lord. The peace offering was a time when you were right with God and you went in and you partook part of that offering and you just fellowship with God, not because you had sinned, not because you wanted anything, but you just were fellowshipping with God. And so David had finished offering the burnt offering, the peace offering. He blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he distributed to every man and every one of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisin. And so we see David's generosity here. He, we see him really rejoicing. He was a generous man. But remember now, David has come to the kingdom. God has given him the kingdom. He has united the house of Saul with the house of David and has literally given him the kingdom. And so it was more than just um, a religious celebration here, but it was a religious and political union. The house was one. And David was a type of Jesus Christ upon the kingdom of David. And so here he rejoices. He gives to everyone something to eat. And in verse 4, he says he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate to thanks and to praise the Lord, God of Israel. It's interesting that the Chronicles continually enumerate and give to us record about the Levites, about those who tended to the Ark of the Covenant, those who tended to the temple worship. And God seems to put an emphasis on God's people always being diligent to work in His house, to always make sure that everything is on the up and up. As we look to the days of Nehemiah, there was a lot of corruption within the religious aspect. And God desires for things to be run in his house the way 
that's going to honor him. Paul the Apostle wrote to Timothy, the pastoral epistles, that he might know how to conduct himself and run the house of God. He also appointed there Asaph, the chief, and the next to him was Zechariah in verse 5. He mentions others there. And uh, they used musical instruments, harps, cymbals. In verse 6 it says, Benaniah and Jehaziel, the priest regularly blew the trumpets before the ark of the covenant of God. And so in verse 7 what we have on down through the chapter is we have David's song of thanksgiving. And this psalm right here correlates to other psalms that can be found in Psalm 100, Psalm 96, and also Psalm 106. And they're called the enthronement psalms. Listen, just listen to the psalm that David delivers here to be sung before the Lord with musical instrument. There's some interesting characteristics about it. It says, On the day David first delivered this psalm into the hand of Asaph and his brethren to thank the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. And so he speaks about God's awesomeness, his greatness. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works which he has done his wonders and his judgments of his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Here we see God's sovereign choosing of Israel, God's sovereign choosing of David. To remember this, to reflect upon it. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant always, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham, and his oath to Isaac and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the allotment of your inheritance, when you were but few in number, indeed very few, and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another and from one kingdom to another people, he permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he reproved kings for their sake, yet saying, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. And so here David ascribes the greatness of God for his benefit, his protection for them throughout the years. His faithfulness to the covenant that he made with Abraham. Those that bless you, I will bless them. Those that curse you, I will curse them. And God honored his word. Moses declared at the end of the journey before they entered the promised land that God had not failed in one promise. And yet they had continually rebelled against him throughout the years of wilderness. God's faithfulness to his word. And verse 23 says, Sing to the Lord, all the earth proclaim good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. Now does this mean that there are other gods? No. It is a small g. All those who proclaim or declare to be gods, but are not. David later in the Psalms declares they have eyes they cannot see, they have hands they cannot handle, they have feet they cannot walk. They're insensate. And therefore the people become just like their gods, blind, deaf, and crippled. Useless. 
For if you ever read the book of Isaiah, especially from chapter 40 to the end, you get one message. I am the only God. Besides me, there is no Savior. I've run and cruised up and down the universe, and I've never bumped into any other God. And if there is one, why don't you come out and tell me things before they happen, so when they happen, I can tell you, declare you to be God. Nobody's ever taken God up on it. And so here he declares that he has to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the people are what? Idols. Interesting. Paul, quoting the Old Testament, says, those that worship idols worship demons. Any form of idolatry has a potential for a tapping in to the demon world. Because you set that object as an object of power, an object of divine supremacy. And Satan knows how pagan man is, and he takes advantage of that. And so Paul says, those that worship idols worship demons that's why we have to be real careful what we accept in the form of worship to make sure that we're checking things by the scriptures god hates idolatry that's why he said in the ten commandments don't make any image to represent anything in heaven on earth beneath the waters or anything else and deuteronomy says because you didn't see no similitude upon the mountain therefore you have nothing to duplicate but yet man is pagan he desires to make an extension of himself and call it god but the Bible says God is a spirit. Those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He says, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. He is the creator. Give to the Lord, O kindred of the people. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Notice that David's only asking that which is reasonable. Isn't this what he says in Romans chapter 12? I beg you by the mercies of Christ that you present your body a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service, which is the least you can do for what he's done for you. It's the only logical thing to do. And this is what David is saying here. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Underline that. So many people want to say, oh, I want to worship you, Lord. You want to worship the Lord? Then live holy. <laughs> it's not a matter of lifting your hands. It's not a matter of the posture of your body. You want to worship the Lord? Then live holy. And you'll be worshiping the Lord in the best way that you ever can. He says, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Isaiah says, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. Peter looked at Jesus and says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. You see, when you really get a glimpse of God, all you can see is your own sinfulness. When you have your eyes on man, you think you're pretty good. <laughs> when you compare yourself to God, all you can say is like, Isaiah, woe is me. I am undone. And this is what David is saying. Tremble before him all the earth. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field rejoice in all that is in it. Then the trees of the woods shall rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. Interesting how people reject this theme, this topic, that God is not coming to judge the earth. And yet it's a running theme that we find as early as Genesis 3, we see the judgment of God. And we do not stop coming across it. God will judge. And yet the world today would have us to think that 
God is not going to judge? Do you really believe in a little return that God is just going to destroy everybody? And they mock at it. Peter says that they say, where's the time of his coming? All things have continued as they were from the beginning. And they are willingly ignorant, Peter says. Not ignorant, willingly ignorant. There's a big difference. And so he says, for he is coming to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. And say, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us together and deliver us from the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel for from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people said, so be it, and praise the Lord. And so it was a psalm that was rehearsed there before the Lord, a time of worship. In verse 37 now, we get the worship that was maintained on a regular basis. David says, so he left Asaph and his brethren there before the ark of the covenant of the Lord to minister before the ark regularly as every day's work required. And Obadidim and his 86 brethren, including Obadidim and the son of Jephthah, remember they had taken the ark from his house. They became gatekeepers. Zadok the priest in verse 39 there, they were to care for the tabernacle that was there at Gibeon. That was the original place of the tabernacle. And they offered burnt offerings in verse 40 according to the law. And um, others are mentioned there that would be helping him. And in verse 43 it says, And all the people departed every man to his house, and David returned to bless his house. Now in chapter 17, it says it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. Then Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, You shall not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the times that I brought up Israel, even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. He began at Gibeon, Shiloh, Nob, and all of a sudden, here he brings David into the kingdom. And God is saying, did I ever require you to build me a fantastic place? What would you build for God? Another area that man always falls short of. Man feels that he has to make some structure that is so fabulous, but God does not require it. I think that men build elaborate structures simply to impress man. In the law, God said, listen, when you build an altar unto me, don't even take a hammer or a chisel to it. Just pile up some rocks and some dirt and that's it. Why? Because God did not want the people coming before the worship and say, oh, look at that altar. Oh, look at that window. Look at that. Sometimes people are in so awe of the structure that it takes away from the worship of God and the glory of God. I think you should have a nice building, but I think you should keep it as simple as possible so that it doesn't detract from God. And sometimes men think that they have been called to build elaborate structures and everything. God doesn't need it. He really doesn't need it. The money can be put to better use. Now in verse 6 he says, Wherever I have moved about with all Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people? Did you get that? God always calls men to shepherd God's people. 
not to rule over them, not to use them to profit themselves, but to shepherd his people. What did Jesus tell Peter? Peter, do you love me? Oh, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I'm fond of you. Peter, do you agape me? Lord, you know, feed my sheep. Peter says, not for filthy lucre, not by constraint, but of a ready mind. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall reward us. We must be careful that we don't submit to men who are fleecing God's people, men who are hirelings and not serving after the pattern of the good shepherd. David was a shepherd. He knew what it was to care for young lambs. He knew the dangers of those who were, who were vulnerable to the wolves, and therefore he made an excellent king. And God always takes that metaphor in Scripture, that of shepherd and that of sheep. Why have you not built me a house of cedar? In other words, he's asking, have I ever asked that? No, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, that you should be ruler over my people. Remember, God had rejected Saul, and Samuel went down to the house of Jesse. Every one of his brothers came forth, and they were handsome and tall, and everyone that came by, Samuel said, oh, surely this is the one. And God said, nope, nope. The last came in, and he says, do you have any other sons? Oh, well, I have a freckle-faced, red-headed run out watching the sheep. Why don't you call him in? The minute David walked in, God says, that's the one, anoint him. See, because God doesn't look on the outward appearance, but he looks upon the heart. Too often we have our eyes on outward appearance, and, 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 and God looks on the heart. God does not care so much about our ability as much as our availability. And that's important. He says, I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all the enemies from before you, and you have made you a name like the name of great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, and they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of the wicked, the wickedness, oppress them any more as previously. You notice how many times God's saying, I, I, I? It is God who did for David. David did not do anything for God. The emphasis of the New Testament is not what we can do for God, but what God has done for us. The book of Ephesians. Paul does not share with the Ephesians what they are to respond to until first he gives them three chapters of all that God has done for them. It's not a matter of doing works for God, yet when we come to God, works become part of our faith as evidence that we're saved. But not that we are saved by those works. The emphasis is always on what God has done for us. And all we do is merely respond to the goodness and the grace of God. In verse 10, he says, In the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, also I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. And so God takes this opportunity to turn it around. He says, I don't need a house. Didn't Solomon in the dedication of the temple says, The heavens of heavens cannot contain you. How is this house going to contain you? And yet here, David's desire was, was honorable. David's desire was of his heart to just do this for God. But God says, I don't need that. But I'm going to build you a house, David. I'm going to establish your house forever. David was blown away. <laughs> totally blown away. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be 
of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. And I will establish him in my house and my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. And this was just too much for David. Look at verse 16. The king David then went in and sat before the Lord, and he says, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? You see, proper perspective. Too often Christians get in the, in the attitude of, well, come on, God, do something for me. As if we deserve it. Lord, why aren't you doing this? David says, who am I that you should bless me this way? Stop and think about your life since you've come to the Lord. Look and see all that he's kept you from. Look and see all that he's done for you. But it's so easy to lose sight of if all we're doing is always looking at what God has not done instead of looking at what God has done. The proverb says that hell and destruction are never full and neither are the eyes of man ever satisfied. The more we get, the more we want. And we have to be careful of that. Verse 17 says, And yet this was a small thing to your, in your sight, O God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the state of a man of high degree, O Lord God. What more can David say to you for the honor of your servant? For you know your servant, O Lord, for your servant's sake, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all this great thing. O Lord, there is none like you, nor is there any God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, Israel? the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name by great and awesome deeds, by driving out nations from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. And now, O Lord, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, let it be established forever and do as you have said. So let it be established that your name may be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God, and let the house of your servant David be established before you forever. For you, O oh my God, have told your servant that you will build him a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray before you. And now, Lord, you are God and have promised this goodness to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you have blessed it, O Lord, and it shall be blessed forevermore. And so here we have the response of David, acknowledging who he is, acknowledging God's greatness, just grace. You know, as we spoke about the gifts of the Spirit, so often they are used as a a, a evidence of spirituality or as if they deserve it. And yet it's all by grace and faith. Paul told the Corinthians, What do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why in the world are you boasting? There is a tendency in every one of us, our sinful nature, to boast or to exalt ourselves or to think that we deserve more than we really have received. We see it throughout the Scriptures. Though we have the heroes in the Bible, God paints them with their warts and their wrinkles and their flaws. He doesn't hide anything. And so we get the proper response here of one who acknowledges with proper perspective 
of the grace of God. Pastor Xavier Reese and what it takes to be one after the heart of God, today on Simple Truths. Now you may be interested to know that today's presentation can be heard again, anytime, by way of the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And there's still much more to come of today's verse-by-verse study right here next time as well. But if you prefer your own personal copy on CD, we can make one available for only $4 upon request. The title to ask for is First Chronicles, chapters 16 through 21. Once again, ask for the in-depth study titled First Chronicles, chapters 16 through 21, when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com